Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Pelin Keskinlu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Jijang, a culture writer and critic. This week we are discussing Dairy Girls and The Mole, two very different shows about groups of people trying to get what they want episode after episode. The most tenuous string, but it's there. Yeah, so. <laughs> full transparency, we we struggle with this one, but... Yes, we'll be alright. How's your week been, Jenny? What have you been up to? I think everyone might be able to hear in our voices, we're a little bit low energy at the moment. I'm attributing mine to just general tiredness and maybe coming down with a cold. Just a lot of that lately. I'm, I'm, I mean, mine is definitely tiredness, because I already got over my cold. Yeah. Um and I, I tried to do the thing of going to Storm King and I and I went and it was beautiful and I'm fucking knackered, mate. Yeah. So. That's a full day. A full Bruv. fucking day. Oh my days. I'll tell you what though, buses, they're great. Love to be on a bus. Love to <laughs> love to uh, reduce traffic by being on one vehicle with yeah. like forty other people. Do you know what I mean? Density. That was, that was pretty great. We love it. We love it. Did you see um, fall foliage with the leaves red yet? Oh yeah, go. Yeah, go. It was like it was definitely magical, and I definitely teared up a little bit. Aww. I'm getting I'm getting proper soft the older I get. Like I've always been a soft little bitch, but <laughs> I'm it, it, I'm now like reaching two hands with the number of times that I've, that I've cried because of nature. Aww. So. Um, Sorry, I hope that never ends. You know, I love to no, be a yeah, gr- like the ceaseless wonder at the world. Honestly, that's totally. the, that's the only way to live. I have to, otherwise, like, what am I going to do? Just cry uh, about like the general of despair that yeah, my government in everything. in the in my homeland is going through right now. Oh um, yeah, uh, much uh, sympathy <sighs> to you there, but very funny all the same. I'm so jealous of Liz Truss's um, just lifelong salary now. She she <laughs> just is, had to be yeah. she had to be a prime minister for six weeks, and she gets what like a hundred k, like just over a hundred k for the rest of her life. That's amazing. Fucking hell! What a queen. Yeah, I hate her. I hate her. I hate her party. But that's an iconic move. Great um, that's I my guess, rant for this week. <laughs> speaking of that general region in the world yes. geographically. Oh. Good watch segue. me get there <laughs> what did you watch this week felon well the irish are going to be fuming just geographically geographically <laughs> in the world sure. we're looking that, across across that end of the pond yeah sure yeah. um so this week i watched dairy girls it was a third and final season um on netflix it is a channel 4 production originally but um obviously netflix bought that shit and uh now you americans get to enjoy it too so this show is a sitcom it's created by lisa mcgee it's about dairy in ireland also known as london dairy but we don't we don't claim that it's just dairy up in the up in here all right um so this is about dairy in the in the kind of like the last years of the troubles and it tells a story of five working class teens four of them girls one of them a guy um as they navigate coming of age basically during the northern ireland peace process from about 94 to about 96 um the show starts off with them being i think 16 like 15 16 um and then it ends um in the third season with all of them turning 18 so did you start watching this before I started watching it? Well, I watched all the previous seasons, oh, yes, which yes, came, yes. came in a while ago. That was like 2018, 2019. Yes, yes, yes. And yes, I yes, promptly yes. forgot about everything that happened specifically in those seasons. And then, yeah, this latest season finally came out on US Netflix, I think, early October. Um, yeah. But I only just like mainlined through it all in the last 
48 hours i would say yes yeah 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 same like this week i just crushed like the second season and the third because i realized that i'd watched the first season when it came out um back in the day because it had so many rave reviews like everyone that i respected loved this show so i i checked it out and you know me you're the biggest sitcom fan out of the two of us yeah um i did enjoy it but i couldn't quite get into it Oh, interesting. Or I couldn't right. I couldn't quite remember getting into it at the time. Like, it didn't really have a hold on me. Um, but I will say, after watching the second and the third series, I had a really good time. Um, yeah. I, I actually was looking forward to it. I was, you know, my husband kept walking back and forth because I was watching it alone. And he was like, why are you laughing so hard? Because there were just some parts where I couldn't stop creasing. Um, yeah. So I, that's why I wanted to talk about it, because it truly is such a delight. The episodes are so short. It's three seasons. It's super short. I think each season has like six to seven episodes. Mm-hmm. So you can crush this very, very easily. It's it's a really great watch, and you learn a lot about the Irish language. Not the, la- not the language, but terminology and also about Irish culture in general. So I, I had a really good time with this. Um, let's talk about the characters, because yeah. I think they, they really make it. Yes. Um, so we have Erin, played by Saoirse Monica Jackson, Orla, played by Louise Harland, Claire, played by Nicola Coughlin, who you will know from from Bridgerton. Um, this this was her star-making performance, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, and then Michelle, played by Jamie Lee O'Donnell, and James, played by Dylan Llewellyn, which is so funny. That is the most British fucking name ever, <laughs> which makes it even funnier given the context of this show. Mm-hmm. Anyway... Do you have a favorite out of the group of these? Mm. Like out of out of strictly just the teens cuz we're going to get to the adults in a bit. Yeah. Oh, it's such a fun bunch of kids, honestly. Um I like Claire's like neuroticness. I like yeah. Michelle's cheekiness and her like actively hostile relationship with her English cousin. Yeah, <laughs> I I don't know. All of them are so funny in different ways yeah yeah yeah. i mean i i pegged you with liking orla because you really liked um tati from los espookies and they kind of have the same dna yeah like the the ditzy dumbness that but just like the general like not caring about what anybody thinks of them orla is good in like the small doses when she's really like she pops up out of nowhere and has like a one-liner or like yeah one little action to mess up everything yeah she's the best um I think my favorite is probably Michelle mm-hmm. because she has the gall that I never had when I was their <laughs> age. <laughs> um, she, like honestly, I was probably more like Claire. I was the most like Claire mm-hmm. um, out of out of this group. But I love Michelle. I love her gumption. I'm. I know that like this was a star making performance for um, Nicola Coughlin, but I'm really surprised as to why <laughs> why this actress um, Jamie Lee O'Donnell didn't hasn't gotten more work or mm-hmm. hasn't gotten more famous in the american landscape i think she's such i think she's so great mm-hmm. um so they're definitely my favorites um you know these these are all grown adults playing teens um yeah it's quite clear yeah it's it's very very clear but i think they're all ranging from their late 20s to mid 30s yes exactly um and the reason why this kind of works nevertheless is because of the tone of the show like it does a really great job of balancing you know capturing that teenage self-obsession the teenage narcissism where whatever you're going through is the most important thing in the whole world and like that joie de vivre and that it captures that tone in a really like I think one critic called it fizzy which I Mm. completely agree with I think that's a really great adjective um 
Yeah, the, the, it is really like childlike when it's about them, and when it, when it, I, I think in general the show is, it really tries to enforce this like youth about it, mm-hmm. um, with with the way that it doesn't necessarily spend too much time with adult themes. Um, even I think when one of the characters comes out of the closet, it's treated in such frivolous ways. Like you know, in in many other shows about coming out. Um, about teenagers, sorry, um, about coming of age. Whenever there is a story about coming out, it is so serious. And yeah, so, very like special and so episode. wrapped in. Yeah, very, very, and like not even like season arcs long. You know, mm-hmm. like it's like it's such an issue, and it's and of course it is a serious matter for a lot of teens. Um, but the way that they handle it here, especially given that Ireland is a Catholic country, where you know it's not as. <laughs> It's not as uh, welcomed, yeah. I, I say, especially in the 90s, 90s, to be gay. The fact that they, like, the creators were like, oh, yeah, we're not getting into that. This is just going to be a fun time. Um, I really respect, honestly, I really respected that. I think there was, like, something very freeing um, about watching it depicted the way that it did. Um, saying that, obviously, it d- you know, I'm I'm talking about how well they do it that but the reason why this show has been given so much praise is the way that it kind of balances the exact time that it's set and this is what makes a tv show a good tv show like when it's very intentional about the time and place Mm -hmm. um and this is you can't really get any better than this honestly like it's set in Derry. it's very specific to Derry to the point of like throughout the series they talk about the towns over and obviously as someone that is not from Derry or not from ireland we don't know these towns I have no idea, but we trust what these characters are talking about. And this is probably really exciting for people from Derry to watch as well. Like you can, you can really get the in jokes. Um, you might not be able to like totally laugh at them, but you understand that it's an in joke. And obviously, like in terms of time, it's so specific to the nineties, whether it's the way that it keeps using like songs from that time, especially like the cranberries, for example, that's like the running song that they use the dream song and um and then obviously like other specific things uh concerts artists uh fashion all of that um but more importantly obviously the fact that this is set during the peace negotiations with northern ireland um what's really great about this is that it's something that happens just in the background like you see it through the tv which is honestly very accurate for teenagers like as kids growing up Anytime something important happened, it would mostly, mostly be you gathered around a TV watching something happening. Obviously, I think can't really say the same about the teens growing up now or the kids growing up now because the internet is like primarily the most um, news delivering thing. But it's just really interesting to see this show do it in a way that feels very accurate to the memory that I have, mm-hmm. um, which obviously makes sense because the showrunner d- did this, I'm guessing, with memories of her own upbringing. Um I think it is based on the uh, Catholic school that she went to as well. Um, but I love how it balances this news with this teenage coming of age. You know, like it's so, it's so much more concerned with what these girls are going through and what the parents are going through as well in their own personal lives and how that is basically unrelated. But then like by the end of the season, by the very final episode, obviously, um, it is very relevant mm-hmm. to, to what everybody is going through. And it is at the top of mind because it, it is such a, um, pivotal moment, I guess. Um, yeah, for the livelihoods and for history. Um, yeah, and it yeah. marks like um, adulthood in a sense for the yes, the teen exactly. characters. Like this exactly. is how voting on this referendum. This is their yeah their step into that that world. Yeah, 
Exactly. Um, you know, when you look around the world and you look around like history to what happened in Ireland um, with with the UK is something that you see the same color and the same shades of all around the world, like whether it's civil unrest, um, whether it's war, all of these things, unfortunately, have happened, keep happening. And it's always I, I think that my favorite thing, ultimately, like from a philosophical like perspective if I can even call it that, um, is the way that it understands and sees the universality of teenageness, um, if that's even it, or teenagedom, and knowing that when it exists within such strife, like socio-political strife, is that it will still continue doing what it needs to do, which is being a fucking teenager. Um, and I think ultimately, like, it's it's so important to have this because we don't really have anything like this um and we don't have it in the tone that we have it either and it does make me sad that it's done but i do love that it's just like a like a three season capsule um which is what it is it's kind of like opening up a a a time capsule that we used to make when we were kids and we buried and we open it back up again and we're just like sifting through the memories um that's kind of what this show feels like when you watch it especially for me so saying all of that I know, I know that we are talking about teenage dim and, and all of its like perks and obviously woes. Um, I do want to give a shout out to the adults in this. We have Erin's mum, Tara Lynn O'Neill. Uh, that's Mary. And then we have the iconic Grandar Joe, <laughs> uh, played by Ian McKelleny. We have Erin's dad. We call him Jerry, played by Tommy Tiernan. And then there's a whole bunch of other adults that we can kind of go down the list of, like Aunt Sarah, played by Kathy Kira Clark. And then, Obviously, the headmistress, Sister Michael, who is played by Siobhan McSweeney. Um, out of these adults, A, who is your favorite? And B, what do you like about the adults? I love the adults. They are, in turns, like, exasperated by the by the girls, by their children, by the world. Um, but also, like, very funny in the, the, the sort of small, mundane things about grown-up life uh, and about having to live as and take care of their family. Um, and they deal with it in such expected, but also endearing way. Like, like I feel yeah. great affection yeah. for them in the same way that I feel affection for their children. And as far as like characters, my favorite adult, adult character goes like, I, I love sister George Michael. She's definitely one of the biggest sources of comedy uh, and, and specifically like witticisms in the show. Yes. And yeah. I just love that. It might be like a trope, like kind of like a, you know, you always have a character who's kind of like an adult who's a bit of a smart ass who's exasperated with the girls. But I, I just yeah. love it. You know, I think they do it really well. Yeah. And they pull it off. Yeah. yeah. And she's a cinephile, as we mm-hmm. find out in, in season two, I think. Yeah, no, Sister Michael is incredible. Um, She kind of takes the voice of reason in a way, like the sarcastic tone that the audience might have towards teenagers in general um yeah i've got to say i have more fun with the adults than i do with the girls um i get more laughs out of myself with the adults i think my favorite thing is the running bit of uh (laughs) grandad joe's hatred of his son-in-law yeah that's really good it's just it there's nothing like it there's nothing like it this yeah. guy hates he just hates him he just hates him there's yeah. no reason there's just no logic whatever Doesn't matter. thing big or small um that's gonna get some like 
look of contempt from him and some it's and, and and just the the funniest fucking mark when he <laughs> when jerry said something and he goes who put 50p in the egypt such a good phrase it's so succinct <laughs> i want a spin-off show of them but i love the adults i love that like the show when they focus on them uh on the adults whether it, and it for the most part it's been with mary i love that they do it in a way that still communicates innocence with them and innocence in their coming of age story and how they feel about being mothers now that there's one episode that the girls are in a spice girls they pretend to be the spice girls and there's a performance going on in that in that episode there's a really great way that it explains how mary might be a bit disheartened about how her life went and how she wants to change it essentially Mm -hmm. and the support that she gets from her husband at the end made me cry and it's so sweet and innocent and still not saccharine you know it doesn't feel like too much it feels like just enough because the tone of the characters are so dry-witted that it cannot be you know too sweet it can it can just be enough to kind of counter the bitterness that they might have in their tones so just to kind of like bow us out we mentioned at the top that each episode the the gang's trying to do something or trying to accomplish some kind of mission um that being said do you have a favorite quote-unquote mission or do you have a favorite episode out of the series now that it's done? It's hard to remember specific episodes. They, they all kind of blur together, especially from the previous seasons, I think. But I do, in general, I really like when they're up to the most like shenanigans or hijinks. Like they yes. are after some some small goal or like committed to doing some kind of little like trouble, like get into trouble, get into mischief. And then things, yeah. of course, like fly off the rails with them. I think you recently when they tried to get tickets to like Fat Boy, that was oh yeah, know, classic, Slim. yeah, classic yeah. hijinks. You know they yeah yeah try to get the tickets, they don't get them. They make up some story, some sob story to, for the local press. Yeah, and of course it all backfires on <laughs> them at the end. Like that's just like a classic sort of sitcom, um, teen like uh, mischief sort of thing, and 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 I like it. They they're not reinventing the wheel, but. Yeah, they, they pull it yeah. off with such again like joy and sort of cheekiness. And it's re- it's interesting because that's the episode where we see the lowest low that we've ever seen in in the entire three seasons, which is obviously the news that Claire gets right at the end. Yeah, um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting choice. I thought that was a bit. I'm not gonna lie, I thought that was a bit jarring to come at the mm-hmm. end, yeah, and also yeah. how they don't do anything with it afterward. Like it yeah, is yeah, maybe the. Yeah. Is that like the, that's like the penultimate episode, maybe. Um, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so there's only one left, and they move Claire to a different location, like they, yes. the family moves, yeah. and then that's kind of it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, before before we properly get into it, I do want to talk to you about that season finale, like the series finale in general. Um, you mentioned you, you were disappointed. I agree with you. I, I think there was something a little bit messy about how it ended and don't get me wrong in general it's like a you know each episode is very like manic and all over the place and it all kind of comes together anyway um but there was something particularly off-putting i think about how we did the time jump i think doing a time jump (laughs) in the final season uh final episode of the final season of the series is in general a mistake it's very hard to do like it's very hard to do yeah, and I understand that it's because they I guess they wanted it to coincide with the referendum and with the girls turning 18. Um and that being like I guess the bullet point, the the punctuation mark at the end of this sentence, but 
like if we just had another season where we see the girls without Claire, with Claire in a different town, trying to still maintain that connection, um, and then it again gradually in its own time gets to the referendum point as the end, it would have been so much more satisfying. But they had to do it in three. Um, yeah, I wonder if this was like they got news like you're gonna have to wrap it up in one one more yeah which is sad which is really really sad because obviously like this started with such intentionality um anyway that being said i think uh i think season two is probably like my favorite season and i really really love the take that concert shenanigans um of them trying to get to the take that as a boy band in england um robbie williams anyway the girls are gonna get it um but that whole episode was one of my favorites and then i think we mentioned it already but the one where they are doing the performance as spice girls is mm-hmm. is also my favorite because it's such a clean balance between the shenanigans of the kids and then also the shenanigans of the parents and how they collide so big big shout out to dairy girls um i love this show i think it's a fantastic sitcom and I would like more sitcoms about Ireland in general. So keep them coming. So what was on your docket this week, Jenny? What did you watch? What did you make me watch? What are we going to talk about? <laughs> yes, I did make you watch this. It's The Mole on Netflix, as specifically the revival of the reality competition show known as The Mole, which originally aired for, I think, five seasons on ABC in the early aughts. So the premise of the show is pretty simple. It involves a group of contestants. They work together to complete different missions in order to add money to the ultimate prize pot that the winner eventually will take home. Mm. But among this group is one mole, the mole, who has been hired by the producers uh, to, you know, explicitly sabotage the group's efforts and to try to reduce the value of the prize pot or to prevent more money from going into it. So while playing the game, the contestants have to observe and gather information about each other. And also in every episode, they take this uh, multiple choice quiz about who they think the mole is and other related questions. And the person who is the furthest off in their quiz, uh, they get eliminated each episode. Mm. So that's the format. They've, they're sticking with this format. Uh, but the latest season is hosted by MSNBC journalist Alex uh, Wagner and set in Australia, um, still with American players. It has 10 episodes, uh, which are released in batches. And the finale, by the time you're listening to this, uh, was already released on Friday. So... Just a heads up, we will be getting into spoiler territory, so I would recommend you catch up on everything before you hop into this yes. uh, this part of the episode. We will give a spoiler warning before we start talking about who the mole is again. Just yeah. if you want to keep listening, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the original series, I know it has achieved kind of a cult favorite status of sorts. Uh, so mm-hmm. I just want to start off and ask you, did you ever watch any uh, of the earlier seasons? I don't think they ever aired in the UK, bro. Mm. And That's if they did, good... I didn't have I didn't have Sky, which is our cable, and uh, you know, just little working class things. Didn't couldn't afford it. But I asked my husband, and he said that he did watch it Ooh. as an American growing up here. And he he says I remember being shocked at who the mole was <laughs> in the in the one season that he remembers watching. So mm. I think I watched 
one season and it was one of the celebrity seasons because they do they mm. did play celebrity mole for a couple seasons so i watched the one with oh damn okay kathy griffin i remember she was there i also probably caught some of the earlier episodes from when anderson cooper was the host so mm. but honestly none of it really has stuck around in my mind except i remember if, at the age of maybe what 10 or 11 i was like oh this is so cool this is so fun. Yeah. And I'll say, like, now, 20 years later, I still find it pretty fun. I think what I like most about it is watching the missions and just, like, the gameplay and how these specific yeah. challenges are structured. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on it so far? Or, I guess, in general, Pella, now that we've finished it? I, I do like the mission-based stuff. Like, I love how they really have to work together in teams. Um, You know, we had something called the crystal maze mm -hmm. i don't know if you guys had that too but it was very like that it was very like escape room style like ah. you really have to work together as a team or or, or in pairs to, to crack a code to get something and yeah i i really enjoy that part of it and obviously like i think with the production quality that they have i don't know how it was back in the day but it's very it feels very rooted in real life film set mm. stuff like in terms of heists and um trying yeah. to get money out of a bank or very like jailbreak. yeah heist and, yeah. and spy and like um sort of like thrill ride kind of yeah genre yeah i love that part of it obviously because i love in general i love heist <laughs> movies period yeah. um so anything kind of rooted into that is is right up my alley so i'm definitely enjoying it for that and i'm yeah. i think in terms of what kept me watching it was more that than anything else yeah up. i totally agree yeah. um i like the variety of puzzles they have like some of them are very physically demanding some of them are um like very problem solving or you know logic or um other kinds of things and yeah. also i really like the the twist that they put on some of the episodes like when you think yeah the mission is wrapped up. Nope. There's one more thing coming. Um, and a lot yeah, of that, yep. you, there are like clear examples of, for example, like prisoners dilemma from game theory and things that kind of mess with people psychologically, uh, which I think is yeah, always yeah. kind of the most interesting, you know, you use human weakness against them and that is fundamentally yeah. a, a distrust of other people. Yes. What What's the prisoner's dilemma thing? So prisoner's dilemma is, Basically, it's this, this idea that if you have a group of people, you know, you tell them, like, there is some good incentive if all of you promise not to do this one bad thing. Whether it's, like, you know, yeah, all yeah, of yeah, you yeah, yeah. will, you can add money to the prize pot if none of you look at these, like, dossiers about your fellow yes, contestants. Yes, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. And then, yeah, like, yeah. of course, the the best thing for the group as a whole would be, you know, none of us are going to look. But then inevitably you get these individuals who are like, well, someone else is just going to look and, you know, get an advantage for themselves. So yeah. that I have to look because I know someone else is going to look. And then by yeah. doing that, you are, you know, yourself perpetuating or yeah. ruining the, the, the sort of collective agreement to begin with. So that idea, like, um, psychologically in game theory, that's known as prisoner's dilemma because fundamentally you're, you're just like, it's the, the sort of most cynical view of humanity, I suppose. It's funny that we've spent the last three years in Prisoner's Dilemma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's not a game. Unfortunately. Uh, unfortunately, And, and yes. we have yeah. uh, failed squarely as a, so as a collective. So 
so hard no perks no no one gets anything good um no. yeah no. that's All that's so fascinating because no. when when i was watching that i was like damn this is like saying something about socialism and capitalism and i don't know what <laughs> uh but yeah no i mean i'd never heard of it and that was also my favorite thing because it was just like oh my god mm-hmm. n- none of these dickheads are gonna do the right thing no um so for this version i did find it i find it interesting how all of the contestants in general are on the younger side, like in their 20s and 30s. Mm. And yeah. mostly like, you know, they're they're fit to be in the cast of a Netflix reality show, which is to say they are more or less like conventionally attractive. And again, like young, yeah. younger. This is a departure from the earlier seasons when I think there there was more of a mix of regular people, age range, attractiveness, uh, etc., and yeah. this is like one of the things I think with Netflix reality shows or reality shows in general now, like all of these people in the show, they're, they're supposed to have pretty like regular jobs, except for there's one who's a professional gamer. Obviously that is mm-hmm. not a very regular job, but then I, I went through and I checked like their social media, like their Instagram profiles after this. And, and quite a few of them, the ones who were marketed as having regular jobs, they are still either aspiring influencers or aspiring like yeah. entertainment industry types which yes i guess i should not be surprised by um no. this is just how casting works i think nowadays with yes yeah in reality tv social media and and personal branding yeah and i've been thinking a lot about it because love is blind just came out the, uh-huh. the third season i think and it's really fascinating seeing the contestants that are obviously in it to just boost whatever influence the audience they already have or to yeah. create one from scratch so there's like one that is really into fitness and she just keeps working out and there's like a pilates instructor and she keeps working out when the boys are all talking and it's like all right i get what's going on here <laughs> um sure and then there's another guy that he's obviously trying to go down this like life coach um mm. co- slash cult leader um Mm -hmm. route as well and it's just it you see that happening and you're like maybe i can give them the benefit of the doubt but then yeah you go on to their their social media presences and it was already pretty like solid to begin with so yeah it's it's definitely that i I initially thought maybe they're all attractive because there's um the the psychological component of that where people just trust more attractive people Um, that could well that's a good point yeah but i or, or, you know, op- the opposite of it, don't trust them. Um, I I thought maybe they were playing with that, but yeah, it's probably not that. It's probably just yeah. what you said. <laughs> I mean, it is but. like an interesting, yeah, phenomenon or development. Like in if you look at the reality shows in the early aughts or the beginning days of the genre versus now, you know, in the earlier days, the ultimate prize would be the cash that they win, the, the prize pot. Like yeah. that is what people yeah. are competing for. And now the thing that they're competing for is that too but primarily now it's like screen time and attention um yes and the opportunity to get their faces in front of potential followers more or less yeah yeah um, yeah and that yeah. like that sort of changes the calculus of of how people play the show i think in a way that i i think it makes it less interesting often um for how people behave on camera yeah i will say the amount of like mental gymnastics that were happening lost me a little bit like there were points where i was just like wait why why are you pretending to be the mole um and then like i understood why and then it was like okay but no i still don't get it (laughs) um not to say that everybody has to be earnest and the fun is obviously the gameplay and the way that people do that mental gymnastics but it did lose me a little bit which you know at that point you're just like why is everybody even here then 
Yeah, because um, it it's, yeah. it seems a little bit like um like ultimately they're they every time they throw away ten thousand dollars, twenty five thousand dollars, it's like okay, well yes, because their ultimate goal is to to stay in the show, extend their screen time, so they yeah. don't even really need to care about the prize pot that much. You're right, like, that right. is that small small change compared to uh, yeah. what they really could get which is brand exposure dude dude i mean by the end of it i was like what was the point of all of this then like in terms of the challenge of of everything that they were going through episode to episode i don't think that reward money is enough i don't think it's worth it no that seems quite small nowadays right and, yeah yeah and i think in what's what's kind of amazing is in earlier seasons early aughts the prize pot was much higher like yeah. you're talking yeah. several hundred thousand dollars and this yep. is like the early odds so that was worth even yeah. more back then exactly um, so it just yeah. kind of like highlights again the the extent to which the the money is not really the ultimate prize um and it's kind of an afterthought in a sense like they win it it's a nice bonus they get 50 percent off you know 50 percent taken off in taxes um yeah. But ultimately, like the the long the the highest dividends are paid out over the years from their however many yeah. followers they gain from this. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's like a a thing to note, I guess, with this revival or reboot. Like, um, I like this line that Variety critic Dan D'Addario had in his review, which is mm-hmm. he, he was also sort of pointing out this casting problem. He was like, it it may be just that hard to find people willing to be on reality TV who don't speak the language a little too fluently nowadays. Yes. There's this very self-awareness kind of thing. Uh, yeah, 100%. And like the reason why you're not going to you're only going to get that crop of people is because the rest of the people that don't want to go on these shows know what happens when you do. Yes. Um and yes. the 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 ramifications of that, uh, the way that it affects your life after that. We all know too well. Like don't get me wrong, it's not like we remember any contestant say from something like Survivor. I mean, I guess the people that religiously watch Survivor do, but like the the greater consciousness of the mainstream um they don't but how that affects you as a person people are all too aware of it in a way that they weren't in the 90s Um, yeah yeah it's like why would you put yourself up for that risk that possible danger if you weren't planning to reap the rewards the potential yeah if you you weren't planning to like flip that brick basically you know try to go for some sort of low level influencership or become an actor or, or sell your ep or something like that yeah, yeah exactly. it is it is exactly that i guess speaking more about this show in particular do you wish we knew more or less about the players because i think i read a couple of reviews where it seems there is like slightly different opinion on whether you want more of their backstory mm. or whether you want more interaction with them more like interpersonal drama um or whether you are you know are satisfied with sort of the the mission the game focused nature of the show i think i want a little bit more backstory if i'm being really real only mm-hmm. because i got so tired of them talking about who the malt is and isn't God, and i know yeah. i know that that's the whole fucking point of the show i get it but give me a just a second like i found myself fast forwarding the yes. confessional parts because i was just like i don't care like you're gonna sit there and tell me how you think x person is or isn't the mole and yeah, sure, ultimately you don't know, but I also don't need to go through why you do and why you don't. I've already watched it. We watched the same clip. Yeah, we formed our own conclusions. Um, you don't need to 
explained so yeah exhaustively like, exactly yeah. and i know and i can't tell if that's because they're trying to make it stretch the episodes whatever it's just maybe i would much rather just um get into the minds of these people and then you end up rooting for these people which then obviously makes the news of the mole more disappointing or more you know shocking it, it, more or, satisfying yeah. exactly like i don't know yeah i thought the confessionals were one of the biggest weak points of this revival yes, like yeah. they are just too many too scripted or like um artificial sounding they focus too yep. too much on like who like the players theories of who the mole is and it's just like i yeah i'd rather they gut 50 percent or more of those give yeah. us more time seeing the interactions between the players and like seeing how they form their alliances or or not yeah um yeah, yeah. confessionals are really bad um and also in the second half of the show, the confessionals, I think, actively helped spoil, like, who the mole would be, ultimately. Oh, and this yeah. is, um, this is spoiler territory. Like, here's a warning yeah. now, if you're listening to this. Uh, it just became so obvious who the mole was. And at least 100%. part of that was because yeah. they were terrible at their, uh, confessional, like, interviews. Yeah. And I really, I also didn't appreciate that the producers kept, I mean, I don't know if they did this in the original, the producers kept telling like all of the contestants to give like misdirect lines for the mm. audience to be like, maybe I am the mole. Who's to say? Yeah. I don't fucking, who fucking cares, bruv? That's a given. We're all wondering if each and every person could be the mole. We're already doing that work for you. You don't need to then like egg it on. But then obviously when you get to the person that did end up being the mole, it was like, it's obviously you. Like there's just a level of acting that's going on that isn't good enough <laughs> like just straight up so yeah, yeah i mean you and i both were we text each other to say that we were both pretty disappointed <laughs> um yeah it made the yeah. finale um pretty anticlimactic like not very exciting and then like the reunion the like very short reunion they had at the end of it all um yeah. which is pretty much dedicated to the mole and like going through the mole's you know previous footage was also not very satisfying because not. they yeah. sort of skated over everything. They didn't go over explicitly like, you know, okay, yeah. this is where this point of sabotage happened. This yeah. is where this other player, you know, started to suspect this. Like this is yeah. all of these sort of things that actually would have been more interesting for people who like seeing the play, seeing the play by play instead of just like very yeah. surface level. Um, yes. Like this person's like secretly tape footage, like in, in, in the yeah. bathroom or something like that. Yeah, and I, I feel like the funniest part about this is that they didn't even have to do that much. No. Because the rest of the co contestants handled <laughs> the loss of money. Yeah, so, they, the rest of the contestants losing money left and right. And that's the thing that I would like to find out more about. Like, why did Joy tank? <laughs> tank the fucking pot at so early on yeah that they basically couldn't ever come back from it no you know what i mean like it, it was actually wild like that was yeah. my favorite moment because it was so fucking batshit just chaotic and i think i initially was like maybe she's the mole but then i saw how emotional she was getting and i was like oh no she's just dumb oh no <laughs> she just did a terrible terrible thing <laughs> and she just spent the entire season like trying to bring get it back and yeah. it, it never really did end up working um because i, that, I think that's yeah. the entertaining thing about it it, it's it like, was it gets people in such a tizzy that people just end up losing money left and right um are you are you happy with the winner yes me too 
I am. And there there are a couple of contestants that I'm sad that they left that had the same DNA as the winner, which is earnestly just trying to get as much money in the fucking pot as possible. Yeah, working hard. I liked um, Pranav. I'm sad that Pranav left Yeah, so me too. Yeah, and Greg too. I'm really sad oh, that Greg left. Greg he was, was hands so down funny. the most entertaining. He's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I really like all of the contestants that were just like, really just wanted to win and not do too much gameplay and just handle the missions and skirt around as much as they could like i think avery tried to do the whole misdirect thing with the rest of the contestants Mm -hmm. and i was just like i don't know why you're doing this also you can't run so don't say that you can run um (laughs) yeah it makes for some very like frustrating moments as a viewer (laughs) yeah 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 you know it it reminds me a lot of people that like yeah i'm six foot and they're actually just five eight um (laughs) There's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of that going on. Whether it's Joy saying that she can read maps and she definitely can't. Oh, um, oh my God. I love that. Hun, it's fine. She is so funny. Also, also, that also cannot read maps. It's fine. You're a great pilot. I'm sure you can fly a plane just right. Um, <laughs> it's just it's just so funny seeing the lies yeah. come to the surface. Um, now, my yeah. final question is, how do you think you would do on the mall if you were a contestant? For me, it's always money in the pot. I would definitely be the one that's trying to do like the whole, with the prisoner's dilemma, I'm trying to get do something for the collective good. How and you, you? you would be disappointed every single time. I would be disappointed every single time, which is why I would never go on the show. <laughs> like i can't i can't do this um self-preservation shit what about you what would what do you think you would be up to well as i was watching the show again like i love the the challenges i think i would find some of them really fun um yeah i would fail at the super physically demanding ones like i would not be able to run seven miles or or pull like blocks of ice up a mountain um But any of the more puzzle-oriented ones, or the ones that relied yeah. more on like the the sort of mental side, the yeah, 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 intellectual yeah. or like um, observation side, uh, I yeah. I would genuinely find them really fun. Yeah. So on on, on that fr- front, I think like I would probably do pretty well. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's funny that this is this kind of takes what Survivor is really good at and just isolates. The thing that Survivor is good at, which is just gameplay and like mission base and relying on your team and also like looking out for yourself. Yeah. It's all of the things that like people, like fans of Survivor love about this, but it's just a little bit more streamlined. Does that help or hurt it? That's what I don't know. That's mm-hmm. the thing that I'm still like questioning. Yeah. In any case, I hope that it is renewed for another season. I hope we, we keep getting to see this with, with yeah. different sort of challenges. And, and I hope they work through their kinks too. Yeah, like just just take all of our feedback on this episode. And, yeah, and there you go. You get a brand new formula. So this week in culture, we're gonna do a quick five minutes <laughs> on James Corden and Keith McNally. So for those that don't know, Keith McNally, who is the owner of many uh, restaurants in New York, most famously Balthazar, which is a celebrity haunt, tourist haunt. Just for those that don't know, Keith McNally is a very problematic old white man that people find hilarious because he's a little bit batshit on social media. He runs his mouth, very long Instagram caption posts, um, a lot of intel about the insider intel of things with regards to his clients, customers or whatever. So every now and again, he says something terrible. Um, and it's also funny at the same time if you don't take him too seriously, which many people don't. Anyway, so now that we know that about Keith, So he made a post last week about banning James Corden from Balthazar and from his restaurants because 
he in one of the Instagram uh, captions he talked about two instances where his staff complained about James Corden's behaviors he's basically just like unpleasant to his his service staff uh, one of them I think entailed his wife having an egg yolk omelet and I think the egg white was touching the yolk and he sent that back and then he you know got got it back with fries instead of salad was what anyway it, basically he's banned that was the whole thing and then obviously there's uh, what ended up happening was that James Corden apologized and then the next day literally the next day Keith McNally was like he's not banned anymore and uh, that was the end of that also we think so a few days after that I guess somebody interviewed James Corden and James Corden was like this is beneath us um I take my apology back so do we know if he's still banned then now that he's revoked his apology or are we just letting this slide? yeah after that after that interview came out in the New York Times um Keith McNally reacted on Instagram again of course and he was like uh very mad and like basically kind of suggested that he was undoing his undo of the ban All right. um and also he promised like at the end he was like my staff was not lying i don't know why he's saying this um like yeah time to come clean james corden right um and he was like if he admits that he did wrong and he actually apologizes to the servers he insulted in my restaurant i'm gonna let him eat it eat at balthazar for free for the next 10 years which what? is a pretty pretty good offer in my opinion. Like James Corden, come on, just just do it. So I don't know if the ban exactly is back in place, but Keith McNally was not happy. He it was another very pixelated screenshot of James Corden on his Instagram. Oh my god, I love those um, pixelated screenshots. Fuck I me. know. He's really like Keith McNally, whatever you want to say about him, he has the mindset of a poster and the dedication yes. of a poster. Yeah. Yes. And that is something that is Oh, value. You just gotta, yeah, you just gotta <laughs> admire it, um, no matter who yeah. it's coming from. It's so funny. I mean, this is my favorite kind of news, which is two people that I don't particularly like having f beef with one another. Like, this is, this is the best kind. I have no skin in this game. Um, if both of them lose out of this, that's totally fine with me. Um, I do hope that James Corden loses more than Keith Mac McNally because I hate James Corden more. <laughs> um, it, I mean, it's funny because I think a lot of Brits have always, like, they don't understand the, the obsession with James Corden and, like, why he is so beloved in, yeah, in America. Yeah, he, he fled the UK and found great success here. Great success, which is um, which is astounding for, for many a Brit. You know, like, for us, it's like, you can tell he has a face of a cunt. What are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> and obviously, like, this is the, as someone that is a, is a holder of this accent, I understand the power that it has over you people. I still don't, I still don't think it's enough. And I would love to see this downfall. And I, and I love that loads of people are bringing up the story that that flight attendant had in first class where they brought oh. a woman with a crying baby up to first class and he, and sat them next to James Corden and he like had his headphones on and ignored them the whole time. And then turns out by the end of the flight, people realize that it's his fucking wife and, and his that's kid. his baby. Yeah. Classic, classic, Amazing. classic. Yeah. And the way that he turned on his apology is also classic because, again, he's a, a, he's like a fucking little shit. Do you know what I mean? Like, of course he did. Like, this all could have blown over. His PR must be losing their minds <laughs> right now. Yeah, like, he really so could mad. have just, he could have sat there. He could have not said anything. He could have just said, like, you know, I'm going to decline to talk about that. Leave it at that. He That would have been fine, I'm sure, with Keith McNally. Like, the public yeah. would 
it would blow over. Instead, he had to, like, his hubris just, like, knows no bounds. And that fucked it up for him again. Totally. And it's so funny because he's like, this is beneath all of us. And you're absolutely right, James. It is beneath all of us. But you know what is beneath all of us, too? If you were just chill with the fucking two orders that you were a prick about, none of this would have been happening. But you didn't know how to be because you're a fucking child. And here we are. And he's acting childish again because he doesn't like apologizing for being a prick. You're a fucking prick, James. Fuck you. <laughs> All right, that's it. <laughs> this is like the long-awaited uh, James Corden rant. Oh my god, I hate that guy. Like I hate that guy. Holding hate in. I can't help it. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Like one day, if I ever meet him and and he's like really nice to me, I'm ne- I'm still not gonna walk it back. I'm not gonna. I just there's just there's All just right, something the- very very good about knowing that there's something wrong with someone. Like they're just a prick and they the prickish behavior comes out and you just feel so fucking good. It's so juicy. Um, <laughs> so I feel really good about it this week. Yeah. Um, but this will, this will stay up for the public record. Just, um, yeah, just in case. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. All right. So, um, now that I've, uh, You've rid of that bile. Demons, yeah, yeah the, the, the bile has been exercised from within me. Um, if you are watching anything that you think we should check out, please let us know at criticismisdead at gmail.com or just at us or DM us at criticismisdead on Twitter and Instagram. Just a heads up, I'm going to be talking about Andor next week. So if anybody says Andor, don't worry about it, hun. I've already got it. We'll get to it. <laughs> For extended show notes, including links to everything that we've been talking about and more, please subscribe to our newsletter criticismisdead.substack.com as always thank you so much for listening please rate and review us on apple Podcasts with five stars and above all please just tell a friend about us because that's what we like we love friends of friends um thank you so much we will see you next week bye criticism is dead is produced by pelin keskin Liu and jenny chichang our music is by rika our artwork and designer are by sarah macias and andrew luke